Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, it's the second book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy, Street of Shadows by Michael Reeves. The second installment of the Jax Pavin story set a few months after the fall of the Republic and the extermination of the Jedi. But before I get to the summary, we've received a listener question, my favorite part of the show. Today's question comes from Joe Kane. Joe says, I've been a listener of the show since almost the beginning, and I have a question about Bacta tanks. We know that Bacta can regrow nerves, muscles, and other tissues, and we see in the book of Boba Fett that it can heal Boba's severe wounds to where it looks like he was never injured. So, why is it that Vader, who spends a lot of time in Bacta, never fully healed? I understand he couldn't have regrown his limbs, but you'd think after almost two decades of treatment, he could have been removed from his life support system. Is there any evidence of why the treatments didn't work? Thank you, and keep up the great podcast. Well, thank you, Joe, for the very nice words, and thank you for the question. It's a doozy. The short answer is this. Keeping Vader scarred and in pain in his suits works best for the story. Not very satisfying, but that's the real answer. And let's face it, Vader's movies were the original trilogy movies. And at that time, we didn't have all of the in-universe rules for Bacta that we did later. However, I think we can take some of what we know about Bacta now and come up with a more satisfying answer. If you do some research on the internet, you'll find that the properties for Bacta are pretty much the same in both Legends and Canon. It's a healing liquid that can regenerate tissue and provide pain relief. And it works for the vast majority of habitants in the galaxy far, far away. Now, too bad for the small number of folks that are allergic to Bacta. But, if a character is not allergic to the miracle cure, why was it able to fully heal Boba Fett, but not Darth Vader? I have no good answer for the scars we see on Vader's skull in The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Although, Luke's immersion in the Bacta tank didn't heal all of his facial scars from the Wampa attack in The Empire Strikes Back, but that could just be because he only really had that one treatment session. The one thing I did find online, now this is not from any official source, but from a lot of fan sites and other entertainment sites. Yes, Bacta is a miracle cure, but that miracle can only go so far. It can heal skin, muscle tissue, scar tissue, and some internal injuries. And that seems to be the rub. Vader's internal injuries, especially the ones to his lungs, are too severe for even 20 years of Bacta treatments to cure. Now, that explanation is fine to me. However, I would like to add that maybe there's a little dark side force aspect to Vader's inability to heal. Vader's usage of the dark side inhibits the healing ability of the Bacta. Maybe. At least, that works for my headcanon. So thank you very much for the email, Joe, and thank you for listening to the podcast. 
Now, if you want to be a really cool person, just like Joe, and have a question or comment read on the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, please feel free to record yourself. Give me your opinion about a legend story or anything in Star Wars. Record a three to five minute audio file and email it to me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Just please make it easy on me and record it in either MP3 or MP4 audio format. Now, let's get on to today's book, Street of Shadows by Michael Reeves, book number two in the Coruscant Knights Trilogy. Grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins a few months after Jedi Twilight ends. Jax Pavan and his ragtag group continue helping the young rebel underground, an organization called Whiplash. Jax's group is living in hiding and working as private investigators in the bowels of Imperial Center. As Jax and the gang take on a new case, a transport arrives on planet from Naboo. It's Captain Gregor Typho, formerly of Queen Padme Amidala's Royal Guard, and he's vowed to find justice for her. Typho knows that Padme and Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker died on the fiery planet of Mustafar. Padme's cause of death is still a bit mysterious. Her windpipe and vocal cords showed signs of strangulation, but there were no signs of struggle on the outside of her neck. So, how could Padme have been killed without leaving any evidence and who could have defeated Anakin Skywalker? Only a dark side force user, a Sith, which is why Typho has come to Imperial Center, to track down a Sith Lord and get revenge for Padme's death. Jax Pavan and his crew are hired by a Zeltron named Deja Dwari to help investigate the murder of her boss and lover, Ves Vallette, a Ka'amasi light artist who was stabbed to death in his studio. Dwari believes the Imperial Sector Prefect is under pressure to close the case as soon as possible, and she doesn't believe the Prefect is giving Vallette's murder the proper attention. When Jax asks if Vallette has any enemies, Dwari says no, but he was devastated over the Empire's raising of his homeworld of Ka'amas, and he used that pain and rage in his last few light sculptures. Perhaps he drew the ire of some Imperial higher-ups. With that line of questioning open-ended, Jax asks about any clients Vallette had, specifically anyone that really collected the Ka'amasi's work. Not many, Dwari says, but one does come to mind. Baron Vlasan Umber, a wealthy Vindalian that lives in an apartment in the upper levels of Coruscant. Elsewhere, Darth Vader is still searching for Jax Pavan, but the Sith Lord is a busy man. He can't devote all of his attention to searching for one former Jedi when he's got to help the Emperor run a galaxy. So, Vader hires the former Padawan turned bounty hunter, Aura Singh. How will she find Jax? At the ruins of the Jedi Temple, of course. That's where she'll start looking. 
Singh walks through the rubble of the temple, trying to get a feeling through the force of what might have happened to Pavan after Order 66. Reaching out, Singh senses a presence, but it's not a force user. It's Captain Typho, who has started his own search for Vader's treachery at the Jedi Temple ruins. Typho tells the bounty hunter that he's investigating Padme Amidala's death and doesn't know anything about a Jedi named Jax Pavan. But Singh doesn't believe him, igniting her lightsaber. The bounty hunter advances on Typho, lifting her crimson blade, ready to kill him. But Typho sets off a flash, momentarily blinding the bounty hunter. While Singh is stunned, Typho kicks the lightsaber from her hand and picks it up. Singh quickly recovers and pulls out a second lightsaber and attacks. Typho blocks her first two strikes and then takes a wild swing at her head. Singh easily ducks the strike, but Typho's blade slices off the bounty hunter's biocomp antenna, sending a feedback shock through Singh, incapacitating her, and allowing Typho to escape. Deja Duari takes Jax and I-5 to the apartment of the Baron and Baroness Umber. Jax questions the wealthy Vendalians about their relationship with Valette. The Baron says he's already answered all the police prefect's questions. What's more to say? Jack says they aren't accusing the Baron or Baroness of Valette's murder, but, according to Deja, the Umbers were the last people to see Valette alive, and the Baron was Valette's biggest patron. They need to try to get a sense of the final few minutes of Valette's life and how the Ka'amase interacted in the Coruscanti art scene. Baron Umber shows Jax and I-5 a number of Valette light sculptures and tells them how much he paid for each. I-5 suggests that now that Valette is dead, the value of those sculptures will skyrocket. The insinuation offends the Baron. He didn't invest in Valette's work. He was moved by them. They're masterpieces, and he will never sell them. Jax probes the Baron with the Force and finds sincerity behind his words. But he gets a different feeling from the Baroness, one of anger and disgust. Jax asks the Baroness about her feelings towards Valette. She says that she didn't really care for the art and doesn't like how much money the Baron spent on it. She admits that she got in an argument with Valette once, but she never wished the artist ill will. Satisfied that the Umbers are telling the truth, Jax, I-5, and Deja leave the apartment and return to their base of operation to lay out what everyone has found so far. Captain Typho descends into the lower levels of the lair of a Kragmaloid information broker. Typho is convinced that he's closing in on solving Padme's murder, but needs further proof. And the Slicer supplies him with an interesting nugget. A Sith Lord named Darth Sidious traveled to Mustafar at the same time Padme and Skywalker did, and left shortly thereafter with another, Darth Vader. That's it, thinks Typho, the proof he's been looking for. Vader, the Emperor's enforcer, was there on Mustafar. Vader must have been the one that killed Padme and Anakin Skywalker. Now, Vader must die. But how to do it? What does Typho have that could possibly lure the Dark Lord into a trap? In that moment, Tycho remembers the encounter with Aura Singh a few days earlier. The bounty hunter was working for Vader and looking for a Jedi named Jax Pavan. That's it, thinks Tycho. He can use Pavan as bait for his trap for Vader. 
Meanwhile, Den Durr discovers two of Vallette's light sculptures were sold on the black market only days after the artist's murder. The seller turns out to be an underworld thief and fence named Spa Fawn. Den and Jax discover Fawn's hideout and question him. Fawn denies having anything to do with Vallette's murder and sets one of his enforcers on him, a huge Cathar, a feline humanoid nearly twice Jax's size. But... Jax is able to elude the Cathar, dodging, backing away, and turning away attacks. Den watches in horror and fascination as Jax continues to run from the Cathar, who is really no match for the Jedi. One is a large, strong, dangerous brute. The other uses the Force. Jax quickly exhausts the Cathar, who soon falls at his feet, conceding defeat and surrendering his life to Jax. But the Jedi wants nothing to do with the Cathar's oath, turning his attention back to Spa Fawn. The thief repeats his story. He stole the sculptures and sold them for a fortune, but he had nothing to do with Valette's death. Using the Force, Jax probes the thief as he pleads. He's telling the truth, Jax tells Den. Fawn had nothing to do with Valette's murder. Back at their headquarters, Jax asks Renan about another investigation he asked the Aloman to head up. Renan says his slicing into the Imperial Security Bureau didn't reveal much about Jax's father, Lorne Pavan, but he did find something interesting. Lorne was working at the Jedi Temple when the Jedi learned that his son showed a strong Force sensitivity. However, Lorne and his wife Sienna were against giving up Jax to the Temple. But that didn't stop the Jedi. After losing his son, Lorne went into a downward spiral. His marriage to Sienna ended, and Lorne ended up destitute in the Coruscant Underground, where he eventually met up with the protocol droid I-5. Renan says the information following Lorne leaving the Jedi Temple is either piecemeal or missing entirely. But what Reinen was able to pull together is that somehow Lorne Pavin discovered information about the Trade Federation's blockade of Naboo nearly 20 years earlier. That was linked to someone in the Senate and leaving Lorne with a death mark. Reinen says he also found a police report from 18 years ago. A Zabrak assassin killed several people in a hut-run Coruscanti nightclub. The Zabrak was looking for a human and a protocol droid. I know my father was killed by a Zabrak, says Jax, but I-5 still refuses to tell me who it was. I think I know why, says Reinen. According to the police report, the weapon used by the Zabrak was a double-bladed red lightsaber. The information stuns Jax. The person that killed his father was a Sith assassin. I-5 knew about it, and refused to tell him. Jax confronts I-5 about the information in the communal area of their living quarters. I-5 admits to holding out, but he had good reason. Why, Jax asks. I-5 says that if he had told Jax who killed Lorne, Jax would feel honor-bound as a Jedi to hunt down the Zabrak. Correct, says Jax. It's a Jedi's duty to defeat the Sith. But, I-5 says... He saw what the Zabrak could do, how he cut through everyone in the nightclub, including Jax's father. He couldn't be stopped. You didn't know your father, I-5 says, but he always loved you. 
and he wouldn't have wanted you to be killed trying to avenge his death. I-5 apologizes for not telling Jax about the assassin and tells him that if Jax wants to search for the Zabrak now, he will assist. But how? Jax wonders. We don't even know if the Zabrak is alive or dead. True, says I-5, but there might be a way you can find out. Suddenly, a small compartment in I-5's chest opens up, revealing a small vial containing a clear, viscous liquid. It's a vial of bota from Drungar, the droid says, probably the last bota extract in the entire galaxy. Bota was an ergogenic plant that had a wide range of healing properties, but the plant mutated shortly before the end of the Clone Wars, rendering it useless. However, I-5 says that the Jedi, Barris Afi, was accidentally injected with a small amount of bota and it opened her connection to the Force to a level she could not believe, allowing her to sense things happening across the entire galaxy. I-5 tells Jax that if he really wants to find out if the Zabrak lives, Jax may consider using the last of the Bota to reach out with the Force. It's a lot to think about. Jax could use the Bota and possibly get justice for his father, but opening himself up to the Force that way would inevitably announce himself to Vader and his Inquisitors. Later that evening, Jax attends a whiplash meeting. He's approached by a man who notices the odd weapon on Jax's belt, a Valmorian flame sword. When the meeting wraps up, the man follows Jax out onto the street, asking more questions about the flame sword. Jax probes the man with the force but can't find any malicious intent. Still, the questions are annoying, and Jax needs to get back to his group. The two men part ways, but not before they exchange names. Jax Pavin and Captain Gregor Typho. Ara Singh is closing in on her prey, but her essence in the force doesn't go unnoticed. Larenth feels a force disturbance from the bounty hunter and confronts her at a nearby bazaar. The two fight briefly, but the Grey Paladin escapes and heads back to the lair to warn Jax and the crew. When she tells them about Ara Singh, the group decides it's time to pull up stakes and go into hiding. But what about Deja and the investigation? Jax says he needs to tell the Zeltron personally what has happened. He goes to Deja's apartment and says it's probably time to go to ground, maybe even flee Coruscant. Deja is heartbroken that she may never know who killed Valette, but says she understands. Suddenly, the apartment door chimes. It's Spa Fon's enforcer. The Cathar tells Jax and Deja that on the night of Valette's murder, his boss says he remembers seeing a skimmer bearing the seal of the house Umber, driven by a droid. Finally, the last piece of the puzzle falls into place for Jax. He calms the group and tells them to meet Deja and him at Baron Umber's apartment. He solved a case. Typho sends an anonymous message to Vader. He's found Jax Pavin, and he'll deliver the Jedi to the Dark Lord. When Vader arrives at the meeting place, Typho tries to spring a trap, firing a sniper rifle from an overhead catwalk. But Vader senses it, uses the force to block the blaster bolt, and flings Typho against a wall. But before killing him, Vader asks why Typho tried to lay a trap. Typho says he knows Vader was the one who killed Padme Amidala and Anakin Skywalker. He was trying to avenge their deaths. Yes, Vader says as he crushes Typho's throat. 
I did kill Anakin Skywalker. He was weak. The galaxy is better off without him. At the Umber apartment, Jax tells the Baron he knows who murdered Valette. Who? The Baron asks. It was your protocol droid, Jax says. The accusation shocks the Baron, but Jax notices a different response from the Baroness. Shock, yes, but also resignation and understanding. Jax turns his questions to her and asks if the Baroness ever expressed anger toward her husband and his relationship with Valette. We've checked your finances, I-5 tells the Umbers. The Baron has spent a small fortune on Valette's sculptures. We know you're basically bankrupt. The Baroness admits to fighting with the Baron, pleading for him to stop going to Valette's studio. But it wasn't the sculptures she was angry about. It was her, she says, pointing at Deja. The Zeltron. What? cries the Baron. She's a Zeltron, the Baroness says again. I know the reaction that males have to her kind. Deja and the Baron deny that anything ever happened between the two. And while the three argue, the Umber's droid enters the room. Jack stifles the commotion and asks the droid if it killed Valette. Yes, the droid admits. My mistress was distraught. She thought the Master and the Zeltron were having an affair. I asked Valette to put a stop to it. The droid says Valette ignored him, and not knowing what else to do, the droid stabbed the Kaamase with his input jack. The next day, the group heads to one of the spaceports to see Deja of Coruscant, but they're jumped by Aura Singh. In the battle, Loranth is severely injured, taking a lightsaber slash to her arm and torso. Jax lures the bounty hunter away from the public area of the spaceport to an area undergoing construction. He falls near a large crusher, faking an injury to lure Aura Singh close. Just as the bounty hunter reaches him, Jax uses the force to knock Singh into the crusher, where she swallowed up and killed. The story ends a few days later. Deja decides to stay on Coruscant and help the whiplash resistance. Jax visits Loranth in the hospital. After one of her back-to-treatments, the Twi'lek says she's leaving the group. She needs to be away from Jax and on her own for a while. Confused, Jax tells the rest of the group when he returns home. When he gets there, there's a knock on the door. It's a package. Opening it up, he sees a lightsaber and a card. It's a gift from the man he met at the Whiplash meeting, Captain Typho. Time for a break. When we return, I'll give you my thoughts on Street of Shadows, and we'll look ahead to the third story in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Tarkin tells the story of a scion of Iriadu. A distinguished soldier and politician, Governor Wilhuff Tarkin rises through the Imperial ranks, believing that the fear of force is the most efficient way to rule. It's a story of action and intrigue. That's Tarkin by James Luceno.
Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Street of Shadows by Michael Reeves, the second book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. I know the first part of this episode was longer than normal. I spent a good amount of time going over the plot of the book. The reason? I really like this book. This book appealed to me much more than the first book. And I admit, I guess that's a little odd. When you go online and look up reviews of Jedi Twilight and Street of Shadows, almost everyone you'll find says that Jedi Twilight is the more interesting of the two books. I had the exact opposite reaction. I thought Jedi Twilight was a little meandering, a little all over the place. What I liked about Street of Shadows was it felt more focused to me. I really liked the investigation that Jax and the team were undertaking. I'm a sucker for a good mystery. I'm a sucker for a good detective story. And this is the first Star Wars Legends book that I've read that really is kind of a detective story. You have Jax, Den, Larenth, Rhinan, I-5, all of them going through different investigative procedures throughout the book. And it reminded me a lot of the techniques you see on different detective and cop shows that you see on television. The one added bonus, of course, is that Jax has the Force. He's basically a lie detector. Now, we know that the Force can't definitively prove if someone is telling you the truth or a lie. But what the Force can do is allow a Jedi to sense the underlying feelings coming from the person who is speaking. You can sense deceitfulness. You can sense sincerity. So for me, that's almost a 99% accurate lie detector test. The secondary plot of the book didn't work quite as well for me. Captain Typho doing his own investigation, that part I liked, but his decision to try to trap and kill Darth Vader just seemed extremely short-sighted, and of course you knew it wasn't going to work. Now, I'm not saying that because we know that Vader lives on into the original trilogy time frame until Return of the Jedi. Is there an aspect of that? Sure. But that's not the real reason. I think the reason I had an issue with it was, you know, 40 plus years of experiencing different Star Wars stories. You know that someone like Captain Gregor Typho is not going to be able to eliminate the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader. Now, that's probably an issue with the way I experienced the book. If you look at it from within the universe, Vader has only been around for a few months. The people within the universe, while they may be terrified of Vader and the power in which he wields and the power which he represents may not 
know completely how much of an irresistible force Vader is. So, put that one on me. Let's give a check mark to the author, Michael Reeves, for that one. Because Captain Typho just knows who this person is. May not know that it's virtually impossible to defeat Vader. However, because of my own personal bias, I had issues with that plot of the story. You knew where it was going to end up. And that's not always a bad thing. I've read stories, I've watched movies, I've watched television shows where I knew where things would end, but the journey along the way was still interesting or exhilarating. I just didn't find Typho's journey in this book to be as interesting. But the main plot with Jax and his crew investigating the murder of Valette was pretty cool, in my opinion. I suspected someone in the Umber household. Most of the clues in the story lead you to believe it was the Baroness. So she was the number one suspect on my list. I did not suspect the protocol droid until right close to the end when the Cathar gives Jax that last clue. For me, that's how I like to experience detective and mystery novels, regardless if it's Star Wars or just, you know, the old hard-boiled novels from the 30s and 40s or any other mystery novel. I think I've said before, I'm not the biggest fan of mystery novels where I can figure it out early. I like the ones that keep me guessing, and this one did. So kudos to Michael Reeves for that one. I thought the inclusion of Ara Singh was interesting. This book was published in 2009, which means he would have started writing it in 2008. The last time that Reeves would have seen Ara Singh that I know of would have been in the prequel trilogy movies, specifically The Phantom Menace. The Filoni Clone Wars television show debuted in 2008. So if Reeves was writing this book at that time, I don't know how much of a crossover there would have been. So for him to use Ara Singh, most likely he got it out of one of the Star Wars character guide books. So that's pretty cool. And it's possible Ara Singh may have been used in one of the Legends books that were written shortly after the prequel trilogy movies came out. I haven't read all those yet. As I said, I still have 18 Legends books to go. Most of them are during the prequel timeline. One of the interesting things with these Legends books, and it's mostly the books that are published prior to Revenge of the Sith, is the timeline for when the Clone Wars take place is roughly 10 to 15 years prior 
to when they actually take place in canon. This book was published in 2009. So Revenge of the Sith had already been out. We knew the Clone Wars ended only 19 to 20 years before A New Hope. However, in this book, there are one or two mentions of specific dates and times that take place either during the Clone Wars or just prior to the Clone Wars that when I sat and thought about them, match more with the Clone Wars timeline from the books published prior to the prequel trilogy coming out than the ones published after the prequel trilogy came out. And I wonder if that was a mistake that the author made or if he decided that since these were legends anyway, he was going to match up with the legends original timeline for when the Clone Wars took place. I don't know. I'd like to ask Michael Reeves that question. The one other thing in this book that had me slightly confused is when Typho gets the information that Darth Sidious was on Mustafar during the time that Padme and Anakin were on Mustafar. And that convinced him that Darth Vader was the one that killed him. I read that passage probably five times. And the way it's written, I just find confusing. I would have figured that Typho would have suspected that Sidious killed the two. But he comes to the conclusion that it was Vader. So I don't really know if I just didn't understand the way it was written or if it was actually just written confusingly. Maybe if anyone out there listening has read Street of Shadows and knows the passage in the book that I'm talking about, can either email me or tweet me whether you understood that three-paragraph passage for when Typho learns that Sidious was on Mustafar, which convinced him Vader killed Padme and Anakin. If you could, get in touch with me. Of course, the big bombshell that lands late in the book is that Darth Maul was the person who killed Jax's father, Lorne Pavin. Now, we all know that Darth Maul was dead, but the people in-universe do not. So going forward, in the final book of this trilogy, Patterns of Force, I'm interested to see what Jax and I-5 do with this information and what they discover. I'm certain they're going to find out that Maul is dead because he is in the Legends timeline. But it's that second piece of information that really has me interested that Reinen discovered that a high-ranking Republic senator had something to do with the Trade Federation's blockade of Naboo. Will Jax and I-5 and their crew discover that Palpatine was behind the blockade that led him to being named Supreme Chancellor of the Republic and then Emperor Palpatine? 
I think that's pretty interesting. And that is what I'm looking forward to the most in the next book. But come back in two weeks and we'll see. Now it's time to wrap up. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. As I said, on the next episode, it'll be the third book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy, Patterns of Force by Michael Reeves. Please join me again on March 18th. Until then, if you have a question or comment for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to get your voice on the show, you can record your own three to five minute audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Give me your opinions about a book, a movie, a TV show, anything in Star Wars. Legends, canon, whatever. I'd love to hear from each of you. Just please record it in either MP3 or MP4 format. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.